We move from gut milk to the apostles' doctrine, which means the apostles' instructions. And this is found in Acts chapter 42 and 42. And, and I want you to know, the first church had this empowerment, but now then they need a plan. So they, the apostles figured this out. We've got the power, but we need a plan. So here is the four legs of a stool that we can build a church on. And they continue. Proscatero is a word for to be addicted to opium. They were addicted steadfast to the apostle doctrines. It means those that were actual eyewitnesses of the words of Jesus. Number two, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. These four things is the most important thing I think that I have ever covered in my life because that's the plan for this church, and that should be the plan for every church that gives their life to Christ. We need a plan. We need a plan because we'll find this out today. Last week, we began fellowship. And we talked about the things about fellowship. We talked about Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island, we're all on the island, we're all on the boat together, and we kind of figured that out. So fellowship is very important. So, and I'm going to show you how important it is today. Matter of fact, I, w- I want to start where we began last week. The fellowship is a messy business with a messy bunch. You see, you don't have problems as long as you're by yourself. Well, you've got problems. But the old saying is, you know, the church full of hypocrites. Well, I understand there's room for one more. Just come on. See, everything's good until you get around other people that claim to be Christians and probably are Christians. And then that's where the, that's where the maturity comes in. We were designed for fellowship. God designed us for fellowship. Now, so Jesus, this is where I'll begin where I left off last week, Jesus stands up in his first sermon. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, the broken liberty to the captives, recover the side of the blind, the blind, and set liberty to those that are oppressed. And I gave you these things. This is what he said. He said, I'm not looking for a perfect people. I'm not looking for somebody that's got their PhD in, in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He said, these are the people that I'm about to associate my life to, and I need God's anointing in my life. The reason why God anoints you is because he knows the people is going to surround you. Sometimes God plans you for your, for, he prepares you for your enemy just for your family. In-laws and outlaws. So Jesus is saying this on his first sermon, God's anointing me. Why is it God anoint me for fluff and goosebumps? Absolutely not. He said, because I'm fixing a deal with people just like this. And this is the bullets that I gave you last week. Number one, the poor always says what you can do for me. I want to always be around people that says, what can you do for me? Number two, the brokenhearted, lives that are in pieces. They're, they're in pieces, and they always require assembly. Number three, captive, individuals who are bound by some habit or addiction, and you can just fill in yours. We ain't got time for that. The blind, no peripheral vision. They only see themselves. I talked about this with my mother. She was legally blind, but she wasn't bad as, blind as a bat. She had cataracts. She could just only see tunnel vision. We talked about this. And number, the, the last one is oppressed. Always negative, defeated, and ashamed. Jesus said it's so important for you to understand the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointing me. Not that, that I can just build big churches and, and have these great ministries. Is I'm about to attach myself to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, and oppressed, and I need all the spiritual help I can get. Turn to somebody and say, this would be a good church if it wasn't for you. Now, don't you tell them that at all. So you wonder, why, why is it? I mean, so, so here we go. Why is it that you come in here and, and God blesses you 
and, and hell breaks out Monday. Do you understand what I'm telling you? You know why he was blessing you Sunday? Because he knew what would happen Monday. So the idea that when you come here and what we're doing today, hopefully is that, that we can intake wonderful things to prepare us for what is ahead for us tomorrow because God has the ability to sit around the corner. So don't just say, Whoa, I, I really enjoyed that, and then Monday you lose your victory because you, you thought that goosebumps and that fluff and that marshmallow whipping would last all week long, and it doesn't. God said, I gave it to you Sunday to help you for Monday. Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm about to build a church. I'm going to attach myself around people that are poor. They always need a handout. Their lives are in pieces. They're addicted by something. They only see themselves, and they're always negative, defeated, and I asked a question last week, does this really look like the perfect picture of the bride of Christ? No. But this is what Jesus is giving you some inside information. So, why is fellowship so important? These are the people that Jesus was going to fellowship with. These people. No wonder God had to anoint him. Four questions concerning fellowship. This four. And you know, we're not going to get to four. You know that. We may get to half of one. What is fellowship? So the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And koinonia is a Greek word that we've talked about many times. You've heard it say, and kind of like diakonias, but it's not. But koinonia is where we get a word for currency, to cooperate with, communion, a commune. It, it is the Greek language for a coin where we get a word for commerce, and I guess one of the basic words is something that we have in common with. What really makes society work is that currency. Anybody got a $100 bill I can borrow real quick? Good. Well, anyway, so that currency or koinonia gives us buying power. We, we are connected. Well, the thing that talks about this koinonia or fellowship is this is one thing we have in common. We may not all look the same. We may not like all the styles of music. We, we may be different shapes, sizes, but one thing we have in common is the blood of Jesus lives and abides in our lives. That's the currency. That's the, the power. That's the confidence that we have. So this word fellowship is so important. And, and the last one we talked about is, is to be connected to. So we have something in common with, and connected to. So this is pretty elementary, and then we're going to get into primary things here in a minute. So the Scripture says two verses later, Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says, and all that believed were together. All that believed, all that became born again were together. At that time, 3,000, and at that 3,000, they all were together. The Greek word for together, sunokomahi is a word, like soon is together, and komahi is a word that means to convene, uh, to assemble, to join. That's the word soon, S-U-N, not son, soon. But a komahi is the word to make parts, make sense out of parts and pieces. So when you put those things together, it means basically this, that you have a sack full of parts and pieces of something. We'll use the word a jigsaw puzzle. And you come in here, and you have a jigsaw puzzle, and all 1,000 pieces are there. But I'll tell you, they're all there, but they're not together, and they don't make sense. But the idea here is not just you to be here. I'm trying to get you to get together. I'm trying to make sense of your life. 
I'm, I'm trying to let you see the big picture here. And you can't get the big picture being by yourself and alone. Proverbs 18 and 1 and 2 will tell you that. He said, a man that separates himself, he's only a master of his own authority. He refuses wise counsel. So the idea that pseudocomy, it means this, that they were all together, it means this. It means they're coming together, and this is what they're saying. It's not just enough for me to be an individual. I want to be connected to Philip and Rachel and Brad and Brian and all. I want to make sense of what this thing is about. You can't make sense of your Christian walk until you're connected with other Christians. Period. Can't do it. You may be a piece of the thing, but you can't make sense of what this thing's all about. So what happens is, he says that they were all together. It means this. They all surrendered, those 3,000, come together and said, I'm just a piece of the big picture of God, and I want you to help me make my life make sense. And this is the remedy. He said, get connected. Get connected. Scoot six inches closer to somebody. Get connected. Get part of their lives. The word fellowship, it means I know where you like to eat. I, I know your favorite food. I know your favorite color. That's koinonia. That's, that's not information. Koinonia knows that whether you're an OU fan or an <coughs> OSU fan or a Texas fan, they know all those things. I know. We're part of one another's lives. That's why we call it a fellowship here. It's a fellowship. I didn't, I didn't stick fellowship on the front part of the church because I run out of things to say. Koinonia means that we're integrating into lives one with another. And you, can't, you cannot be a part of the big picture of God being isolated and separated. It, your life doesn't make sense because this is what's going to happen. You're going to stay at home and, and, and you're going to sit on the couch and you go, I wonder what the meaning of life is. I know I'm saved and I know I'm gifted and I know I'm talented, but I, I just choose to stay home and blah, 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 blah. But I just feel so, just so, yeah. All right, you know what it is? You're missing the big picture here. Fellowship is God's design. So this word together, it means that all the pieces were together, but they weren't making, they were there, but they didn't make sense. So God, one by one, began to incorporate pieces together. And that's what he's doing today. Your life will make sense the more you get connected with the body of Christ. That's the truth. So it's important this morning, I wrote this here, that our witness, our witness, enhances our witness. Our witness enhances our witness. So here, here's the deal. Somebody said, where do you go to church? Oh, every once in a while I go down there at Calvary Christian Fellowship. They got a knucklehead piano player and a knucklehead preacher, but I go on Easter's and Christmas, but the rest of the time I just stay home. That's not a good witness. And it's another thing for you to go on the street corner and say, where do you go to church? I go to Calvary Christian Fellowship. I'm there. I'm part of a group of people. We're not perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior. We're learning to work together, agree together, pray together. We're getting past the things that doesn't matter. And there's more that, that, that connects us than, than there is that disconnects us. And that's where God has called me to be. And somebody say, hey, I think I'll come. Our witness enhances our witness, because you can't be a good witness when you're isolated by yourself. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So that's very important. So this morning, I want to talk about fellowship. There's a negative and there's a positive. So here at CCF, that 
my job here is to stimulate spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. And we talked about this seven months ago, but here's John 15. If you are not bearing fruit, you may be attached to the vine. Pay attention. But if you're not bearing fruit, off you go. Wow. So here at CCF, what I'm trying to do is we're trying to stimulate spiritual growth. That you can grow and grow in grace and go in God and all these things. So fellowship is, is so important in that. So the second thing is that why do we fellowship? Why is fellowship so important? The first one is what is fellowship? And the second one is why is fellowship so important? So I'm glad you asked. That's not yet. Do not show that one. I want to show St. John chapter 5, verse 2 through 5, in the good old King James. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda. Now that's funny because that's what this church is named. Bethesda. I am Bethesda Ministries. It means house of mercy. So you're looking around and go, hey, I didn't see that on the sign. It's never been on the church sign. I had to start under another man's license through Calvary Christian Fellowship until I got my own federal incorporation license, so I called it Bethesda Ministry. Maybe I should call it that, but it's called house of mercy, having five porches. Say five porches. Now let's watch this. So in or on these porches lay great multitude of Impotent, but I call them important, but impotent folk. Blind, halt, wither, waiting for the moving of the water. You know this story, verse 4. So an angel went down at the certain season of the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever was first one into the water, step that was made whole, and whatsoever disease he had. That's good information. And a certain man was there which had infirmity for 38 years. So you know this story. Let's read it from the NIV. Now there in the Jerusalem, there the sheep gate was a pool, and an Aramaic which is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3, and here's a great number of disabled people used to lie, used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There is no verse 4. The NIV is the exact translation. Verse 5 says, one who was there had been in an invalid for 38 years. So when you read this, in the King James, you get this, verse 4. So they're, they're waiting for the waters to move. First one into the pool gets healed and so on and so forth. But in the actual lexicon that the NIV gets it correct, there is no verse 4. So what's the deal with this pickle? Verse 4 was a superstition. Now pay attention. They're, they're looking, they're looking, but it's not there. Verse 4 is a superstition that the Jews had. And the superstition is, was this. This was the problem with this, that these people, for all these years, and this man for 38 years, that he hung near a superstition, and it never changed him until he headed to Jesus. The biggest mistake you can make is hang on to doctrinal superstitions. 
lengthen your dress, stack your hair a little higher, put that makeup on or put it off, shout a little louder, dance in the Holy Spirit around the church, all these things. If you'll do that, you'll get it. Those are superstitions. There's only one thing that can change us and change us forever. It's not only the saving grace of Jesus, but it's the sanctifying grace of Jesus. And we've wasted our time hanging around superstitious things in the church, and it's not changing anything. It's not changing us. And this guy said, I am so fed up with this for 38 years. All of you people, that you've been here as long as I've been born, none of you are changed, and we have no actual evidence that they were ever changed. They had seismic activity around these pools, and they had bubblings going on, and it was a superstition. We have no evidence whatsoever that anybody was healed. That was something that the writers inserted. It's hilarious. Do you pray? Do you have to pray with your eyes open? Don't answer that. Do you have to pray with your head bowed? Do you have to pray with your eyes shut? So the idea of what happens is, is that we just get so accustomed to all this stuff, this spiritual stuff, and, and doing this and doing that and shouting that and singing that and raising your hand and, and anointing you with all and all that, and it's not changed anything. Only Jesus, only a relationship with a living Christ can change us. Oh, baby. So what's the saddest words in Scripture? The saddest words in Scripture. The blind man. The lame man. The leper. The deaf man. The woman with an issue of blood. Why is that the saddest Scriptures in the Bible? is because these people, their infirmity became their identity. <laughs> so we have a, a new one come to church. Jeremiah, he's new. He said, Pastor, I'm glad to be here, but he said, what's the name of that old guy that sits on the back that always acts grumpy? And I said, which, which, which one? What's that lady's name that, that goes to church? I mean, I, I, I can see her face, but what's her name that absolutely, that every time I shake my hands out, she gives me the thumbs up and walks away? How would you like to have your identity be known by your infirmity? They don't even know who your name is. They only know your action. Is it sinking in? Sinking in? Saddest scriptures in the Bible. The blind man, the leper man, the deaf man, the woman with the issue of blood. They had no names as far as giving a record. Now, we might pick a few, Bartimaeus and Veronica, but, but we, we understand, but, but, but their infirmity became their identity. See, what happens is, is, is that you need to understand this. The, John chapter 5, verse 1, is, is that there's a feast going on. And the feast of the tabernacle, that's when everybody showed up. It's kind of like a family reunion. So when everybody shows up, you, you go to your house, you clean the house, and you know you, you put things up, mow the lawn, and do whatever you need to do because company's coming. Well, Jerusalem now they held about two hundred thousand, probably almost a million is going to show up of these three feasts, these feasts, three feasts. So it tells you that there's a feast going on. So now then, this is what happens. 
because the Pharisees, because they don't, they don't care anything about the blind and the halt and the lame and all these people, but for a show, they drag them out on the porches. <laughs> Remember? We're only the fast one day in the Old Testament, one day, one day a year. Anybody know what that is? Day of Atonement. One day a year. He said, one day a year you fast, Day of Atonement. One day a year. By the time Jesus walks on planet Earth, they're fasting twice a week, and they're fasting not only twice a week, but there's an extra day they throw in there. They're adding things. And they, and they fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Because Tuesdays and Thursdays was market days. So any convenient that nobody fast and put on sackcloth and ashes and puts on a, 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 a show until everybody comes in from the market and the fields. So that's what's going on here. They got all these people, these, these folks that are lame and blind and leprous, and, and they're on these five colonnades. Solomon built these things, these colonnades, and they're just laying out. And what it's doing, when the people come in, even people that even though they didn't live in Jerusalem, they see all these people giving away groceries and food and, and just giving all these people luxury, they'll say, oh, the Pharisees, they're just great. And pardon me if I'm a little sarcastic, but I, it's just my nature. But when the crowd left, the Pharisees said, now you bums go back to whatever rock you crawled out from underneath. It's true. So these five colonies, the reason why fellowship, it can have a positive and have a negative. So let me, let me talk to you for a moment. The negative. Each, each colonnade According to your infirmity, that's where you sit. So it's kind of like going to Lowe's. Because I, I try not to go to grocery stores, and I sure enough don't go to Walmart. But we used to have a store in town called Walls. Remember that, Walls? Nobody knew where anything was in Walls. <laughs> now, my little wife, she could go to a ball bearing plant, and she could be there for days looking for ball bearings. But the thing about walls, it, you can go in like in, in Walmart and like the pharmacy, it's, it's pretty well in the pharmacy aisle. But in walls, it could be over with tires and, and inner tubes. Who knows? So what they would do, hopefully, to, to save time in shopping, what you would do is that when you go to a store and you're wanting to buy aspirin or whatever, that you would look into the pharmacy and that's where all this stuff is. Sporting goods, automotive, they have their sections. Can we agree to that? All right, I mean, this is not a trick question. These colonnades were the same. The blind, the halt, the wither, all these people sat together, and their identity was linked together because of their infirmity. So everybody had a section. Sleepy, dopey, grippy, grumpy, and everybody had a section. And all, so they're going, the, the, the Pharisees are going, all the blind over here. All the lame, good luck, here. All the deaf, huh? All the deaf, here. <laughs> These five porches, everybody could not sit where they wanted to. They had to be in groups according to their infirmity. That's true. I mean, anybody that has a little bit of Bible information knows this. 
And so this is what he did. He, he organized these things. He organized these things according to your affirmative. So this is what I want to say to you in the nicest way. In the nicest, kindest way. <clears throat> Our fellowship is important, but be careful who we associate with. Because if we're not careful, whether we realize or not, that we have been stuck into a group of people that maybe we don't want to be like, but we're there right now. And we find ourselves being hateful, grumpy, discontent, angry, and all these things, and we're sitting in the same section with these people, and, and, and maybe the light bulb will come on somewhere in your life, and you're going to say, God, why have you put these people in my life that is hateful, mean, contrary, grumpy, and, and just plain old ornery? And God said, because they're all mirrors. Mr. Perfect. Because what God will do, when, he, when you won't listen to him, he'll surround you by someone that is just like you. And these people, if we're not careful, we are in fellowship with these people that we're in the same grouping that they are. And we don't realize it. So fellowship can be a good and a bad. So these colonnades that God, these five, we have five here. Yes, that's why I did this, five here. House of mercy. And we have groupings of these people that are halt and diseased, and they all set according to their infirmity until finally this one guy said this, I've been here for 38 years, and your superstitions ain't doing nothing for my life. I don't want any more handouts. I don't want any more pity. All I need to do is get a hold of that man walking by. And somebody said, well, if, if, and of course, if, if you get up, he said, get up, I'm lame. I, I can never be first one in the pool. Did you ever let that sink in? He's lame for 38 years. There's no way he could be first in the pool. <laughs> Even if he was living on the bank, he couldn't be first in the pool. So the idea, he said, you know, I've had enough of this nonsense. Religion hadn't changed me. I mean, there's only one thing that can change my life from a sinner to a saint is the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and when you understand that, you're, you're going to sit in that section and, and they're going to grumble and mumble and they're going to go to sleep during church and hopefully one day you say, get out of my way! Just start walking over pews, stepping over people, say, you know what, I've been sitting here so long, I smell like you, I sound like you, I smell like your old cheap cologne, I want to get to, if I had to sit on that bar stool with that preacher, I want to know what he knows, I want to have what he has, I will not settle for your discontent and your disbelief, I want to get a hold of the person of Jesus. And when you say that, I'm telling you what, uh, you're going to cause problems. People say, sit down. I will not sit down. Be quiet. I will not be quiet. I've been this way my whole life, and I don't plan on dying this way. Get me to Jesus. And here's the analogy. When he couldn't get to the water, the water got to him. So fellowship is a great deal as long as it's with the right people. But the Bible said in Proverbs, don't hang, Philip, you listening? Don't hang around an angry man or a furious man, lest you will learn his ways. He didn't say, go around the angry and the furious and teach him a lesson. He said, don't 
because you'll get on that colonnade with those people that are hateful and gripey and discontent and rude and all that stuff, and you'll become just like them before long. Go find you Jesus. Don't settle for any colonnade. Go find the one that can give you life and freedom and health and be free. And, and I'm going to be nice to you. I'm not going to look at you. If you want to stay chained up and disconnected and wounded and hateful all your life, help yourself. I don't plan on doing that. I just plan on living my life in the fullness of the life of the Son of God. Amen? Amen. So here we go. Here's the preview. Here's the preview for the church. We'll get to, we'll get to point three next week. Here's the preview for this powerful upcoming church. Here's the seed of the plan of persecution that's being sown. Now, this is really important because I'm going to show you something. So they got the power, but they needed a plan because little did they know what is about to happen to this powerful machine, the church. The first sermon that Peter preached, 3,000 were saved. And I said, and that really makes me mad, really, really. He's just a smelly old fisherman that likes sushi or bait, whatever it's called. He walks up in the pulpit and with studying words, he's, he, he recites a few scriptures from the Old Testament and 3,000 comes and gives their life to Jesus. And I, and I said this, is, is anybody here has never played golf in your life? You never played golf. Anybody never played golf? So it's like me taking Mark. Oh, th thank you. That's, that's why you're in good shape. It's like me taking you to the golf course in the first swing, you get a hole in one. And I look at you and say, I hate you. I hate you. I've been playing for 30-something years, and I hate you. You just walk up, takes one swing, goes in the hole. That's what Peter does. He just walks in. No credentials, no nothing. And he just recites some things that Joel said, and Isaiah said, and David said, and 3,000 get saved. I, you know, I hate him for that. <laughs> then before long, 5,000 more was added. So what happens is that, so we've got this great movement, but now the seed of the plan of persecution is being sown. And here's, here, here's where it starts, right here. Acts chapter number 2. They're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in these people's dialect. Okay. And we, and we talked about this. If, if, you don't, if you're here visiting about on Pentecost, there's a difference between translation and interpretation. These people said the Holy Spirit of God was translating word for word. Today in the Pentecostal circus, we get an interpretation, and that's kind of hit and miss, and it's mostly miss. But the Holy Spirit will give you word for word. So their heads were spinning. So these are the people, the unbelievers that were hearing these 12 men speak in languages that was common to their dialect. But their heads were spinning, and they could not make heads or tail of any of it. They, it means by this, they can hear their language, but they don't know why these Galileans could speak their native language. And they talked back and forth confused, and they said to themselves, what's going on here? Watch this. And others joked, and they said they're drunk on Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> Some of you say, what do you mean, cheap one? That's the best. No, well, whatever. Okay, so leave it up there for a moment. We're going to go home. You see how insignificant that is? Oh, they're just drunk. See how insignificant it is? Oh, pfft, he don't know. That was the seed to the plant called persecution that's about to take over.
somebody at work. Oh, it's not a big deal. They're carrying Bibles. They're just Bible thumpers. And they just kind of laugh and joke. Oh, you know, they're in, the, they're in that Jesus movement. No big deal. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. Before you leave this church service, you'll fully understand what's going on. These people, with a little bit of joking and taunting and teasing, they're sowing the seed of persecution that's going to come into a plant. So let me show you this thing. Chapter 2. Mockings, laughed at, teased, taunted. Acts 2. Then they were threatened, they were beaten, they were bullied, and they were intimidated in Acts 4. Acts 5. They were whipped with 39 stripes and they were thrown into prison. Acts 5. Self-centeredness began to unravel the church's covering because the Grecian women and the Hebrew women, they all got into a pity party and now the seams of the church is coming unraveled. Acts chapter 7, the cold blood murder of Stephen. Acts chapter 8, the introduction of the Jewish mob boss, Saul of Tarsus. What's happening here and the result of these things is found in James chapter 1 and verse 1. And he says this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. The word scattered in the Greek word is called diaspora. And diaspora means to be segmented, to be fractured, to be in bits and pieces. It's the verb of taking chaff and throwing it into a windstorm. They're gone. This church, about 35 years prior to James chapter 1, was empowered. They had the Holy Spirit. They had a plan. They had over thousands of people get born again. And little by little, it all began until it wound up in James's life where it absolutely, the church could not one member be found together. Fragmented, scattered, diaspora. And it all began with one seed of mocking, laughing, and taunting. And then it turned to being bullied. Galen and I gave my, our lives to Jesus the same day in 1980, and I worked in the oil field. And I want you to know, if anybody worked in the oil field, you're not going to find too many saints. And I was a great candidate for the oil field before I got saved. But I want you to know Monday morning I found out that there was something changed in me, but the oil field didn't change. And I come home, we come home the day, she went to work the same day, and we, we, when I come home I said, I said, don't these cuss words just make you sick? And I wrote, the, I, wrote the, I got a book on cuss words before I got saved. I, I got them somewhere. And she said, you know, she said, in, in the office chatter, and see what's happened is the world hadn't changed, you're changed. But if you're not careful, in Acts chapter number 2, verses 12 and 13, it begins. The end of it is this. To fracture you, to segment you in bits and pieces that you are so scattered, you don't even resemble a godly man or woman. And it all began by being teased and taunted by a joke. 
Oh, you don't go to church. You go to church twice a week? Good Lord. I mean, you go to church every Sunday? Oh, come on. And then if you're not careful, somebody will say, you know what? I, I, I don't want to hear about your church anymore. As a matter of fact, if you bring up Jesus, I think I may help you get to him quicker. And then you're going to find windshields being busted out and spray paint on your car and office gossip. And before you know it, the plant of persecution that was sown with a little bit of tease and taunting now has grown and developed. And the plant of persecution has taken over and destroying your Christian life. Until one day you look in the mirror and you become just like James. He said, your life is in pieces. Scattered. And it all began with a little teasing and taunting. Fellowship is so important this morning. Fellowship is so important because that we need to be connected and joined with people who are like faith. And you might like certain styles of music and certain styles of food, and, and I can't help it if you've got a nasty palate and you like sushi and buttermilk. I can't help that, but I love you. I love you. And my life is not complete without you. And I pray this morning as we begin this, this series on fellowship that you would understand that, that we just can't be settled, stuck in this colonnade and that colonnade and that colonnade. And we, we can't settle for that. We can't just settle that I'm, I'm better than I used to be. We can't settle that, well, I'm, I'm not as big a sinner as Mike back there. Well, who is? I just can't settle for that. I, I've got to get past you and get past this stinking thinking, and I've got to make my way to where Jesus is. And when you get in His presence, watch this. All those other people, it doesn't matter. So that's all that's going on here. Father, this morning that your word says that we'll just assemble ourselves together and humble ourselves. But there's some here today that include myself. I've never been satisfied just sitting under a shaded colonnade, people thinking that I'm something that I'm not. Because when I go home, I look in the mirror and I really don't like it. I know all the doctrines. I know all the Bible verses. I know all the religious rhetoric. I know, I know all that stuff. I grew up with that stuff. I grew up with the Ten Commandments on, on my dresser. I grew up saying the Lord's Prayer all my life. But I found myself part of the, the lame and the crippled and the lepers and the gossipers, the angry people, the hateful people, the church splitters, I found myself being just like them. Those things never changed me deep inside until that moment that you moved into my life. And you threw out that old furniture and you put in new furniture. You spread out your rug in my heart and you hung up the words, home sweet home upon the walls of my heart. And I've never been the same. 
I pray the next few weeks this fellowship is so important because we so desperately need to be surrounded by people who love you and people that want to please you and serve you but not in a religious way but in a way that is intimate so this morning I pray that if there's anyone here and we're all here that find ourselves here upon the church's porches that we're sick and we're hurting and we're broken and we're diseased and we're wounded and the list goes on and on. This church can't fix them. The music can't fix them. A handshake and a hug can't fix them. Only Jesus can take the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together and make sense of my life. Help us as we begin our journey that we will see the big picture as we connect ourselves one to another, as we connect ourselves to you in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. amen. Heard about two people this morning say, you know what, I'm glad I'm sitting by you. I really am. You're a good guy. You're a good woman. I'm glad we're here together. Stand with me this morning, if you would. Communion servers, please come. Fellowship. Fellowship. I'm going to kind of encourage you next week to be here because I'm going to take you on a journey with fellowship that you probably need to know. So here we are this morning. We're all impotent. We all find ourselves on a religious scale. Our life is in a mess. Our home is in a mess. My mind's in a mess. I'm in a mess. But make no mistake about it. I got the, I got the trophy of church attendance and church degrees and I got all that stuff in somewhere in the back part of my closet but I'm a mess we're all here but I want you to know Jesus is here as well and he will fix you that night Jesus sat with his disciples and he We celebrate Holy Communion every week because we've been commanded to. So he took the communion bread and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the breaking of the bread, the unleavened bread. It was the bread of haste that we could leave ex of Egypt at a moment's notice. But the Bible said he took the bread. He said, but now I am the bread of life. And he took it and he broke it. It means that it was in whole, but he had to break it. Jesus became broken for our broken lives and our broken homes and our broken hearts. Remember, he left us in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup, which was the third cup, that cup that night, the cup of redemption. He said for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the shedding of the Lamb's blood and taking it 
and placed it upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But he said, I am the New Testament Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my blood in the shape of a cross that the the death angel will pass over you. So this morning, these are the last two commandments that Jesus has ever given to His church is the bread and the cup. And He says, do it until I come. So as we take Holy Communion this morning, this is the thing that I'm going to put into your, your mind. Jesus could probably be found in the bread and the cup with a heart of faith. So this morning, if you're sick and if you're hurting and you're wounded and you're blind and you're impotent and all these things, you have a choice this morning. You can stay right where you are and you can spend the rest of your life that way and surround yourself with people that are just like you and compare yourself with people just like you or you can say to yourself, self, I'm heading to Jesus this morning. And we're going to do that through the communion cup and bread. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread in Jesus' name. Amen.